are you doing this morning? Great worship. Thank you, team. Well, we are continuing a, a fantastic series, if you've been with us. Conversations with Jesus. I mean, what's better than that? To learn from Jesus through his conversations with his disciples, with others that encounter him. We, you learn a lot in a conversation, don't you? It's all about communication. It's all about relationship. And we decided for the next several weeks, we're going to talk about the conversations Jesus had with others about loving God. Because that's really what it's about, is to learn how to love God. So we've been looking each week at different aspects of loving God. Uh, uh, several weeks ago, we looked at Matthew chapter 22, and we realized that to love God is to love God with, all, with everything you have, right? Matthew 22, love God with all your heart, with all your soul and with all your mind, right? It takes every aspect of you to be poured into the passion, your prayer life, your intellect, everything. And then last week, Bill talked about in Matthew chapter 16, how to love God is, is to love him in your commitment. You commit to him. Your allegiance is to Jesus because he is Lord, the living God of the universe, and you commit to him. You're willing to sacrifice all. Well, this morning we're going to look at another aspect of loving God, and that is to love God by abiding in him and allowing him to prune you. It's John chapter 15, and that's our passage this morning. It's about staying connected. Do you get that? It's about staying connected in that relationship. It is so easy to get disconnected in relationship. Happens all the time. We go in and out of relationships. And, and, and uh, really, sometimes on the basis of how it suits us, you know, so we, we take advantage of relationship for our benefit rather than staying connected for another reason. Maybe it may be based on your, on your schedules. It could be uh, I was speaking, you know, I'm truly speaking right now as a man. I've observed that men tend to be a little bit more on the independent side, not always, but on the average, I think women tend to stay better connected in their relationships than men do. I'm not sure why that is. Um, some of it may do with modeling. We talked about this last night. My brother had us over, and uh, we, uh, he, was, he was playing paddle tennis or, or pickleball later in the, earlier in the day yesterday, and, and he said, i got to get home. We're going to smoke something. And everybody looked at him, what, what, are you, what are you talking What? If you know my brother, that's totally out of norm. But... Uh, he was referring to putting something on the Traeger and smoking it. So he put a salmon on the Traeger and we smoked it. And we came over and had a great meal. It was great smoked salmon. But anyway, we had a conversation about growing up. And what we realized is that a lot of it's due to modeling. The kind of modeling you had in your own home. Was it a nurturing home? Was it a deep connecting home? Or was it based on activity or events or experience or approval? What kind of a home did you grow up in? Has a lot to say about how you stay connected in relationship with people. So we talked a little bit about that last night. Um, another is image or just what I really want. I, I kind of do life the way I want to do life. I, I'm the master of my own fate. I don't really need others. I, but, I, but we learn in marriage, don't we? Don't we learn in marriage that marriage often is the reference point for our relationship with God. That God gave us marriage to show us what it looks like to be in relationship with one another and to be in relationship with him. It takes an ongoing commitment. I'm doing a wedding next week. And so I've been thinking about this. Some dear friends uh, of ours and their daughters getting married. And 
And I'm thinking to say in these words, you are preparing to enter into a lifelong commitment to staying connected on a continuing basis. Your commitment is to stay connected, connected with one another on a continuous basis for the rest of your life. Through thick and thin, through difficulties, hardships, you just stay connected. I think that's what marriage is all about. But here in John chapter 15, and if you have your little outlines, I have printed up the Passion, again, translation. I love the NIV, the New American Standard, but I really like the way in which the Passion, again, uh, brings out the flavor of this idea of abiding and pruning. So let's read it together in John chapter 15. I am the true sprouting vine, Jesus is speaking, and the Father who tends the vine is my Father. He cares for the branches connected to me by lifting and propping up the fruitless branches, pruning every fruitful branch to yield a greater harvest. The words I have spoken over you have already cleansed you, so that you must remain in life union with me. For I remain in life union with you, For as a branch severed from the vine, you don't bear fruit. So your life will be fruitless unless you live your life intimately joined to mine. I'm the sprouting vine, Jesus says again. You're my branches. As you live in union with me as your your source, fruitfulness will stream from within. But when you live separated from me, you are powerless. If a person is separated from me, He's discarded. Such a branch is gathered up and thrown into the fire to be burned. But if you live in life union with me, how many times he says life union? If my words live powerfully within you, then you can ask whatever you desire and it will be done for you. When your lives bear abundant fruit, you demonstrate that you are my mature disciples who glorify my Father. I love each of you. With the same love that the Father loves me, you must continually let my love nourish your hearts. If you keep my commands, you will live in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands. For I'm continually li- I continually live nourished and empowered by his love. My purpose for telling you these things is so that your joy, the joy that I experience, will fill your hearts with overflowing gladness. Jumping down to verse 16, Jesus says, You didn't choose me, I chose you, and commissioned you that you would go into the world to do what? To bear fruit. To bear fruit. I think this whole passage comes down to one big idea. What God wants for you is to bear much fruit. He wants you to grow. This is a growth passage. Loving God is about growing. He wants you to bear fruit. The question is, how do we bear fruit? That's what the passage is about, is helping us understand that Jesus' power is aimed at one thing, your holiness, your beauty, your freedom, your purity, your fruitfulness. It's all aimed at that. The power of God, the power of Christ is aimed right at your life to produce fruitfulness in your life. But you have to learn how to abide in him. If you don't, you won't get that life. I mean, the Bible talks a lot about fruit, Galatians 5. Fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace and patience and kindness. And we go through all those and we can look at all the different kinds of fruit. Well, how do we produce that kind of fruit? 
we need to learn two principles, the abiding principle and the pruning principle. Those are the two principles that help us understand how to stay connected to God so that we might produce fruit. You live a fruitful life. Okay, so let's do that. Let's look at that. And by the way, in John chapter 15, verse 6, if you notice, it says that you didn't choose me. I chose you. I saw you. I knew your name. I called you out so that what? You would bear fruit. This is God's desire for you. He's, he's intentionally drawn you to himself to be a fruit bearer. That's what it means to love God. So how do we do that? Well, let's look at it. The first one is abiding in Christ. And the second is understanding pruning. There are two things going on here. One is abiding and one's pruning. And you won't survive the one without the other. Believe me, when we get to the end, it'll make sense to you. But you cannot survive pruning unless you understand abiding. That's it. There's no way to understand that. Pruning is too hard without being one that abides in Christ. So what is abiding? Well, when you think of relationships, you think of either there's two kinds. One is kind of a more mechanical, compulsory, obligatory kind of relationship where you just follow the rules. You just, okay, I just do what you tell me to do, right? We know this because that often happens in the workplace. Or a relationship might turn into this, that, that you'll be blessed, that things will go well if you just simply do what you're told. And that's one kind of a relationship. Jesus is talking about a different kind of relationship. He's talking about a deep, organic. He's using the vine and the branches. He's the garden. He's talking about looking out in Israel over, over this beautiful scenery of vines, of, of all these, these vineyards. And he's looking at that saying, this is a picture of a organic relationship with me. Deep and abiding, rich. So what does it mean? The word abide, it says it several times here. If you abide, it literally means to remain. Meno, to remain. There's several actual uses of the word, and I'm just going to go through a couple of them with you, just so you understand the depth of the word. But the word abide means several things. First of all, it means to be moved by the Spirit. That, can you, isn't that interesting? To abide in Christ, he's the vine, you're the branch. Think of it. The vine is everything. The vine is Jesus. And if you know anything about grapes, what you know is that you can strip a vine of all of its branches and it still exists. It self-exists. It's the life force. It draws the nutrients. It's everything. The vine's everything. And then what you do is you, you put the branch, on, you graft the branch onto the vine and you can graft a lot of different kinds of branches. You can put several different kinds of, of branches that grow different kinds of grapes onto the same vine. The vine produces the power and ability and the nutrients so that the branch produces the kind of fruit it was supposed to grow. But if it's disconnected, it's not going to grow. And in that connection, in that remaining in Christ, you sense a moving of the Spirit. The Spirit of God is alive in you. The second thing that we know about the word abide is this. It's, uh, it's not only this idea of, of being moved by the Spirit, but it's the idea of standing still. To remain is to stand still. And this is really hard for us. I got a buddy on my swim team. His motto, we were walking out of the swim 
uh, practice on Saturday. And he goes, my model in life, I don't know why we're talking about this, is to keep moving. Just keep moving. That's, that's my motto. I'm thinking, okay, that kind of cuts across the message I'm about to give this weekend. Because to abide is to actually stop moving for a minute. And we think that's inactivity. We think that's a waste of time. We think that's not doing anything. In fact, I've read so many books that have communicated the exact opposite that actually standing still is doing something. Have you ever thought of it? It's actually doing something, not nothing. To stand still. Thoreau is a great writer. Moved away from civilization and lived by himself. And he, uh, he wrote these words. Nothing can be more useful to a man than a determination not to be hurried. So he wanted to live a life unhurried. And uh, he wanted to abandon the lives of quiet desperation. He called it the lives of quiet desperation. A lot of people live lives of quiet desperation. And so in his journal on February 8th, 1857, he wrote in his journal, you think that I'm impoverishing myself by withdrawing from men with my solitude. I have woven for myself a silken web or a chrysalis, a nymph-like shall ear long burst forth a more perfect creature. Isn't that beautifully written? What he's saying is that as I pull away, I am creating a web around me as I stand and remain present in the moment by my, away from the busyness of life, I am creating a web, a silk woven womb, a web around myself and out of that will come this beautiful creature. What God wants to form in you, the fruitfulness of your life, here's the key, is that you must metamorphosize. You must, the metamorphosis to be, you need to morph into something else, and you can't do that on your own. You, you crawl into that space, and you allow God to begin to transform you, and all of a sudden, you burst out, and you're a different person. That's what we're talking about abiding. That's what's available to us if we understand the principle of abiding. Uh, it means a lot of things. It also means to stay overnight. I don't know why, but the word means to stay overnight. And, and we, we had a busy weekend last weekend and uh, a lot of ministry opportunities. And, and we thought, okay, we've got one day. We're going to go up and see our son and daughter-in-law and, and drive up to Cayucas and, and, and spend some time with them. And so we decided late into the night, it was really kind of late to be driving uh, all the way up to Cayucas, which is a good four plus hours, four and a half hours. So we said, we'll go as far as we can. And then the next morning we'll get up and, and we'll spend the day with, with them and, and uh, enjoy, enjoy some time and then come home. So we spent the night in Buellton, beautiful Buellton, California, the home of Split Pea Sioux, right? Lovely Buellton. Got there about 11 at night, 11.30, and uh, checked into a hotel room. And it was the last hotel room, literally. Uh, San Ynez. I checked everywhere. There was, this is the last. It's, staying the night, isn't. you have to be really intentional these days. So I got the last. You, sir, you have the last room. It's two queen-size beds. That's fine. We'll take it. So we got it. And we checked in. We opened the door. And there's two queen-size beds on that side. And the TV and the console's over here. And there's about... 20 feet in between both of them. And we're looking, well, what's wrong with this room? 
I've never in my life, of all the times to stay in a hotel, I've never seen a room this big in all my life. Two beds and all this space. And if you were on the bed, you couldn't even see the TV from the other side. And there was all this this laminate in between the carpet and this laminate. And then it was the weirdest room I had ever seen. And I thought, it felt very, here's my thought. This feels really uncomfortable. I wanted a cozy little room. You know, and the bed pressed up against the wall. You know, it's like when you go to Europe, right, or someplace. It's really tight. But sometimes that's kind of nice and cozy. Uh, you should come over to our house. It's a very cozy house. Uh, and that that's, uh, that's, uh, means it's small. But anyway, here's this big room, and we felt really weird like I did. I felt like, what's all this space here? We feel uncomfortable with space. We really do. We want to fill that space. And yet... To remain in Christ is to stay the night in a really spacious place. The other word that it means is to be inhabited by God, that the Spirit of God inhabits us, that the power to live the Christian life is already inhabiting you, if you really understood it. Now, Matt Chandler is a pastor down in uh, Texas, and he wrote about this problem we're seeing in churches today. Why, you know, what's going on? I, I read a poll just recently uh, online. It was about millennials. It said they've become the first non-Christian majority generation in history. It's interesting. More millennials have disassociated with the church than any other, any other part. And, and the, really the question is why? What, what's the problem? Well, Matt Chandler went on to say, here's the problem. It's called the de-churched phenomenon. And the de-churched phenomenon goes like this. People come into church and they hear a message, and the message is, is if you bargain with God, you're going to get something. That if you keep your end of the bargain up, you're going to get something in return. But what happens when God doesn't come through with the bargain and give you what you think you want? You're going to become very discouraged, and you're going to walk away. And a lot of people have walked away probably from church because we've been preaching a message that's radically different than what Jesus is saying in this passage. Um, he says it this way. He says, bargaining with God doesn't work. If you do this, you must do that. What happens, when these, what, what happens when he decides to do something different in your life? He's ultimately going to do something different than what you think. He, he is. So what happens in that scenario? We can't handle it. It's because we aren't learning the principle of abiding. Um, I haven't read the whole book, but Larry Crabb wrote a book called The Pressure's Off. I like the title. And I read like maybe the first chapter, and he's talking about this linear relationship with God that a lot of people have. And it's, you just follow, the, you just follow along. It's a very linear relationship to try to get somewhere. And he's saying, it's not what Jesus is offering. The pressure's off. The pressure's off this morning. You need to hear that, that the pressure is off trying to live that kind of a life. That what you need to see is fruitfulness does not come from what you do, but how you learn to remain. The entire productivity of your Christian life comes from the source of not yourself and your activities, but from God. We need to learn how to do that. Does that make sense? I mean, it is so critical. And in this passage, there are two kinds of branches. There's the branch that's 
internally connected, and there's, what's, there's a branch that's externally commanded, c- connected. And, and Jesus says, there's some external branches that are just so fruitless that I, I'm just going to cut them off and burn them. Now, he's not talking about people being sent to hell or something like that. This is a passage on growth. He's talking about the fact that if you are externally, that is all you're doing is maintaining a relationship with God on the basis of a bargain. There's no fruit. It's cut off. It's burned up. It's worthless. And yet there's another kind, which is this internal relationship with God that's deep and organic. And by the way, we have to mature into this. I was talking to a dear friend. It's become a dear friend. He first was an irritant. And he would, I, we, we'd laugh about it because he came to our church early on. And he's from South Africa. And, and he preaches to the, the tribes and the Hausa Indians. And they click. They click and then they say their word. Hausa. And they're in the Transkei region. Nelson Mandela's from this region. And he's been there 40 years. Kelly Kosky become a great friend. He really has. At first, I'm like, he comes to our church and delivers these really hardcore messages about dying and suffering and sacrifice. I'm like, Kelly, ease up on us a little bit. We live in Palos Verdes here. Come on. We're not used to this. I know you're, you're, you're used to going out to a village and, and, uh, and, and dealing with a witch doctor. And once the witch doctor comes to Christ, the whole village comes to Christ, but you got to battle the witch doctor, and then everybody follows and comes to Jesus, and he's led over 100 villages to Christ, and he's got 100 churches out there in the bush. Amazing. Seminary, hospital, all sorts of things. And, and we've followed ministries, been to our church a couple times, and um, so he called me because he was given World, uh, uh, world Series tickets. If the Yankees won. That's why I was watching last night to see if the Yankees would actually win. And in the ninth inning, I was really excited that they tied it up. But they didn't win. But I bought a ticket anyway that was refundable because he said, if they win, you're going with me Tuesday to Yankee Stadium World, World Series. And I thought, well, I don't have time for this. I got a wedding next weekend. I owe way too much to going on. But should I miss it? Well, I called my brother-in-law, Denise's brother. And uh, he's a baseball player. And I said, should I go? And he says, you're an idiot if you don't. Since it's a once in a lifetime, no one else is going to invite you to World Series game, so you better take it. And uh, because of the uh, Veterans Disability Act, the federal government actually gives uh, disabled vets uh, a certain number of tickets to sporting events, and he got World Series tickets to Yankees as a result of his service in this country. And he decided to take me with his one leg, and uh, and so we didn't end up going, obviously. You know the score of what happened last night. So canceled the trip. But the conversation went on yesterday on the phone. He's in Denver right now. And we talked about his life. And we talked about ministry. And I said, Kelly, when are you going to give up? You're 70 year old, years old. You've lost a leg. You have to wear crutches with a prosthetic into the, into the bush in order to go minister to people in your, your, your mission field. I mean, you got 10 grandkids in Denver. Your wife loves, wants to be closer to family now, and, and, and you're getting old, and you've got to be exhausted. Why don't you just give up? I'm seriously talking to him, though, like this on the phone. And he says, Todd, I'm going to tell you something, and I think this is the key to abiding, by the way. This was very interesting. Why do you keep going back, Kelly? And he says, you know, Todd, um, I always believed I was needed. This is really important. This is really important. 
I love God so much that I have to keep going. They need me. I need to show them the love of God. Now something has changed. What now happens is I'm hearing God say, Kelly, I just want to be with you. I want to go on a journey with you. And I want to go back because I want to be with you. It's a totally different motivation, totally different style of ministry, totally different approach to relationship with God. Well, I got to get it done. Who else is going to get it done? And this obligatory compulsion that drives us has gone in his life in his latter years. Profound difference in terms of motivation and purpose. Fruitlessness comes in the abiding, not the doing. It's a cause and effect relationship. It's not the other way around. The branch is fruitful because it gets the life from the vine. Not the other way around. Not I get life from the vine because the branch is fruitful. Do you see the difference? One is abiding, the other is activity. So when I look at this passage, here's what I see. I see lots of things. Remain in me. Remain in this life union with me, verse 4. Verse 5, life union with me as your source. Again, verse 6, if a person is separated from me, he's discarded. You're discarded if you're separated. If my word lives powerfully within you, verse 7. Verse 9, you must continually let my love nourish your hearts. Verse 9, if you keep my commands, verse 17, love one another deeply. I find three things about abiding here. I'm just going to say them, and then we're going to move on. But here they are. Three things. First one is stay in communication. That's remain, remain, life union, life union. That's all about a communication. Um, Thomas Kelly wrote a book called A Testament of Devotion. And he called it simultaneity. It's the ability to be engaged with two things at the same time. I'm really good at that, by the way. I have two conversations going on all the time. Right now, I have another conversation going on in my head about what I'm going to do this afternoon and everything that's going on next week and getting ready for a wedding and all that's going on in my head as I'm talking to you. We're capable of doing that. But what Kelly is saying here is that at one level, you're thinking, you're discussing, you're seeing, you're calculating. But at another level, this is really important, at a profounder level, we may also be in prayer and adoration, song and worship. A gentle receptiveness to divine breathings. Jesus was busy ministering to people while at the same time in constant conversation with the Father. You see that? So it's that idea of this ongoing communication. The Hebrew word to describe God's proximity in our lives is the word panim. And panim means literally the split second before and the split second after. God is both split second before you and the split second after you. God is so present in your life that he's right there the second after this second and the second before that second. That's how present he is, and we can have that divine communication at all times with him. I'm going to stop there and move to the second one. The second area of remaining is to keep the words of God in you and obey them. See that? There is obedience, but obedience comes out of abiding. It's part of abiding. Because the word obedience or obey means to give ear. Did you know that? Obedere in Latin means to give ear. I'm giving ear to what you have to say. Now, I'm on a swim team. 
and I show up early in the morning, and sometimes I am not listening. And the coach is calling out all these different orders, and he's saying, we're going to do 10 100s, I am descending 1 to 5, 5 to 10, odd drill, even swim, base plus 10. And if you miss any of what I just said, you're not going to be able to do what the coach asked you to do. And the same is true in our Christian life. If we are not listening attentively, that's what abide means. To listen attentively so that we may do what God calls us to do. And if that attentiveness is gone, we're going to fake it. Sometimes I get in the pool, I miss that. Hundreds? Two hundreds? What was it? Base plus what? Descending or ascending? I don't know. Everybody takes off, and so I just start swimming. And I have no idea what I'm doing. And that happens a lot unless we give ear, remain, abide. The third area that I notice in this is the fact that you got to love. you got to love God. you got to love people. Loving people is loving God. Loving people is abiding in Christ. Do you see that? Do you see the connection in here? How you love others? That's the third way. So we're at Moffat School. And we're doing this beautification. Denise talked about it. Murals and gardening. And I was in the gardening department. And I had a big uh, pickaxe. And I was working alongside one of, uh, it was wonderful. The kids were there from the school. The parents were there. And I was working alongside a young man who had two children at this Moffat school. And his name's Otto. I introduced myself. He's from Guatemala. He came when he was 20. He's an auto painter. And he does high-level auto uh, painting, uh, Teslas uh, that, come, that, that are sold, and, and uh, they have dust in the paint or some problem, so he fixes it, or, or Range Rovers and all that kind of stuff. And so we talked about life, and we worked side-by-side side for, for hours, side-by-side, side, and talked, and, and I felt like we became friends. And what I realized in this, as I look back and, and want to reconnect with him, is that in my connection, I was really connecting with God as well. Because when you connect with people at a deep level, you're connecting with God. That's the way God made us. That's abiding. Think about that. There's one last thing that I want to share with you, and it's the pruning principle. If you look in John 15, Jesus is the vine. You've got to hold on to the vine. We talked about that. But the Father is the vine dresser. He's the gardener. And what does a gardener do? A gardener tends to the vines. He tends to the branch. He tends to the garden. And how does he do that? He's looking for fruit. He's, he's pruning dead branches, and he's pruning good branches, too, that are bearing much fruit. Why is he doing that? It says it. He says, he cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes. He's pruning fruitful branches in your life. See, we need to understand the pruning principle, and it's this that the shears will come to every branch. The shears will come to every branch in our lives. It's not, well, I hope he doesn't prune that. Or I hope he leaves me alone. He is so committed to one thing. And what's the one thing he's committed to? What's a gardener committed to? Fruitfulness. He is going to do everything in his power to do one thing, to make you fruitful. So we have to keep that in mind as we understand he's going to take out even what you think should remain. And we have this feeling like, why did he leave that? Why is he taking that? What about this dream? What about this area of my life? Why don't I get to do this anymore? 
I'm constantly going back. Well, what about that? Well, God, why did you take that from my life? Why does my life look so different? I'm still fighting him on those things. And I'm not realizing he's taking those things away because he really wants to make me fruitful. But it hurts. It's hard. So that last part of the afternoon, I'm pruning. And so I got my shears, and an avocado tree was way overgrown. So I started pruning, and I didn't know what I was doing. Tommy Olson looks over, and he goes, Todd, you know what you're doing? Do you know anything about pruning? And when I better, I sure hope I do. I'm teaching on it tomorrow. He goes, no, I'm not talking about that kind of pruning. I'm talking about this kind of pruning. Do you know what to do with this avocado tree so you don't hack it to death? He says, I said, no, I really don't. He goes, well, let me just share a little piece of information that I have learned about pruning. I don't know where he finds these things, but he does. He's got a master's in philosophy, a master's in theology, and he's probably got another master's that he hasn't told us about. But he says, you need to prune a tree in such a way that a bird can fly right through it. Well, that's very interesting. So I went online, Googled it, and found a little paragraph, and it says, prune the, prune the horizontal ones because you want all your branches to be growing up, not down, not horizontal. That makes a lot of sense. Which are the branches in your life that are going up and not horizontal or down? But then you also want to prune in such a way that you thin out so that light can get through the canopy. That is exactly what we're talking about. Pruning out things in your life to let more light in. It's the simplification. It's the letting go of things in your life. That's the pruning process. And you know what? It's really hard. And I agree it's really hard. And frankly, we don't want to even do it. We don't want to experience it. To such a degree, I found this quote. And it's written by a man who experienced it while he was in England in the 1930s, Somerset Maughan. And he's a playwright, but before that, he was training to be uh, a doctor in a hospital. And so uh, Somerset Maughan, who was a very famous English playwright, was observing suffering. And he wrote, you know, there's some people that believe in the moral value of suffering. They claim that it was salutary. They claim that it increased sympathy and enhanced the sensibilities. There's a moral theory out there in the Christian life that says that suffering's really good for you because it's going to produce something beneficial. And here's what he says. He went on to say, through my experiences, I knew that suffering did not ennoble, it degraded. It made men selfish and mean and petty and suspicious. It absorbed them in the small things, he said. And I think he's right. I think the, there's a part of that's actually true. So what makes the difference? If that's potentially true, then what makes the difference in the pruning process? It's one thing. If you remain. If you learn the secret of remaining, abiding, you will survive the pruning. You will not become hard. You will become soft. You will understand as hard as it is and as much as you don't want to go through this, you know why. So here's three things that I love. Tim Keller, he wrote three things from his observation. Learn, trust, and obey. These aren't mine. There's here, his, but I, I just want to point them out. I think they're, they're absolutely true. First of all, you need to learn. Why have I lost this connection? Probably what you need to learn is that you've made it about the branch rather than the vine. 
And early in our lives, in our Christian lives, we've really made it all about ourselves. It's us. It's how does God make me happy. It's about the branch rather than focusing on the vine. What is God really up to? How do I learn from him? The second thing that I learned in this passage, and then we're going to be done here in just a, a couple minutes, is to trust. His agenda and his plan. And this is really hard because you have to mistrust your own judgment. So I was going through some feelings of aloneness and disconnection from friends, not feeling included, and um, a lot of anxiety in this last week, and things were kind of creeping up again, feeling really dis displaced. So I called my lifeline, Randy, who's a great friend and counsels me. And he said, you know, Todd, here's what you need to learn. Life is a paradox. Relationships are a paradox. They're good and they're bad. You don't get rid of the bad and all you have is good. You don't run from the bad. You live with the bad, with the good. And the only way you do that is by grace. That's why Jesus came. Grace is allowing us to live with the bad of a relationship, the bad of a situation, the things that really suck in our lives that we don't like, that we want to get rid of. You live with them because you walk in the faith of grace because there's really something good as well. It's not bad or good. And I crawl up into my mind think it's all bad, and it's not all bad. There's still good things going on. You're just focusing on the wrong stuff. You need to change the way you're thinking. You need to mistrust your own judgments. The final thing that he says is obey. Cling to the vine. An ounce of sin can kill you like a ton of suffering can. You can endure. Fruitfulness is coming. Look at the life of Job. So this morning, we're going to turn to communion. But before we do that, let's just pray for a minute about abiding and pruning. Father, these are two things we need to learn. We need to learn how to abide, and we need to learn how to be pruned. And uh, we are busy about our lives, which challenges our willingness to learn, abide. And we're fighting against what you want to take from our lives, which is something that um, we need to learn about pruning. Would you teach us this morning, Lord? Would you grow us just a bit in both of these areas? We're willing. We really are. Amen.